Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're tuning into an episode of the Redefining Society podcast, hosted by Marco Ciappelli. Let's face it, the future is now. We live in a hybrid analog digital society, and we must stop ignoring it or pretending that technology is not affecting us. The line between the physical and virtual worlds has become a figment of our imagination. On it, we are continually performing a dangerous balancing act, juggling convenience, privacy, freedom, security, technology, society, culture, and even the future of humanity. There is no better place than here, and no better time than now to muse on our relationship with technology and how to redefine what society means in this new age. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. What were you saying, Rafa? No, no, no. So, Rafa, you were talking about you were talking about the the landscape of music is legal and financial, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, it's it's driven by the changes in technology. But you're also right; it's driven then us reacting to that and younger generations realizing that they can consume music in different manners. And you know, it's it's. Honestly, it's things like, you know, it's things like on the one hand, you two um, going and doing a residency in Las Vegas, and there have always been residencies, but you know, YouTube is effectively. Marco, you don't like YouTube. You don't like YouTube. You don't like the idea of people. Doing <laughs> I like them too much to actually, uh, but you know, know to, that they're doing that. Here, I'll, I'll throw in, in you know, to, to the notion of of consumption changing, I'll throw in a, a, a counterpoint for, for folks to think about, which is that TikTok is changing the way that music is consumed by younger people. And part of it is, is the fact that TikTok has a separate music app. But another part of it is that TikTok has a decent way to control their own algorithms and music consumption, where they will take songs that are from five to 12 years old take clips from those songs 
make those available to streamers, and they will basically reintroduce and create hits. You know, you, you had, for example, uh, over the summer, um, TikTok influencers all um, going, you know, all, all taking the, the, the hit, um, which I think was from like eight years ago. Um, There's a, a French artist who did a song called Makeba, um, Makeba, uh, about Mary Makeba. But you had all these folks basically dancing and lip syncing to roughly, you know, three to eight seconds of an audio clip and then everyone going off and listening to that song that nobody had really listened to for ages because TikTok put it into their algorithm. Show us, Raf. I want to see the move. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but on the other hand, you, you also got people like um, Taylor Swift on John Mayer drawing thousands of people into stadiums. Um, well, Taylor Swift is still very much entertainment focus. I mean, she's got great music. She's also a great entertainer. But you look look like John Mayer, purely, oh, Pearl Jam. I mean, I just saw a Pearl Jam concert. No fancy frills. It's straight up music. Two and a half hours of pure music. Um, that's the kind of music I remember. But I also remember Pink Floyd, right? Pink Floyd, I mean, if you look at it, the brilliant music. And, and then they had massive light shows. And then... And they had the whole storytelling through music, through the wall concerts and stuff like that. So, so I think they, they probably started the whole, they started a lot of things. They were the first for a lot of things. But I think the whole telling a story um, through their music and really entertaining people, that, that was, that was uh, it started in the 70s. And I think we've just taken it, given that technology is advanced to a level where it's become cheaper to produce this, the massive shows um, potentially has driven um, and, and the fact that we as, as audiences are demanding more, if you're going to pay like 200 bucks for a ticket, I, I want, unless I'm going to listen to Eddie Vedder, I want, and if I'm, I want, I want, I want a big light in a song. And Oh, oh yeah. I'm sorry. You said, unless I'm going to listen to Eddie Vedder. Hmm. Pink Floyd well, can do a meaning. show, but also amazing musicians. So we can get very kind of polemic here about: Are we covering something? Are we adding? Are we adding sauces, sauces on the dish because it's not such a good dish? And so, well, I don't know. Madonna wasn't the best singer. She kind of created the whole show thing. Let's dive into well, a little bit more Pink Floyd. Was, like, she was an entertainer. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing about Pink Floyd is, is that, you know, like they didn't wholly create the rock opera, but that notion of the concept album and then of taking the elements from the concept album and putting them onto stage. You know, yeah, The Who did some of that. Rolling Stones right. did some of that. I mean, you know, they, they were more they're more obscure bands and, you know, Yes and, and Osric Tentacles and all sorts of folks. But that notion, if you think about it, kind of got shrunk down and made bite size o over time to where, you know, it, it became, you know, new generations wanted it to be to be meme worthy. You know, you, you didn't have to have the big concept, but everything in music needed to have a concept in order to be digested. Um, and and if anything, we have much more of a sense now that musicians are celebrities and that they engage in the public sphere. And then you have things like Taylor Swift making news um, for dating a, a football player. 
And um, you know, the latest thing is the the meme of uh, that you know. There's literally now a thing called Swifty Sauce, where she she was off, you know, supporting her boyfriend playing a football game, and there was a tweet from her tour that was Taylor Swift enjoying chicken bites with ketchup and seemingly ranch, and ketchup and seemingly ranch was literally just released by um, by craft as a new flavor, <laughs> ketchup and seemingly ranch, which they also apparently do previously call cranch, but they're calling it ketchup and seemingly ranch because they know that Taylor Swift fans will buy it up in ridiculous amounts. Um, and so there's this, so, this let me put it commercial this synergy where basically if an artist does something they go play the MSG sphere or they go somewhere, they do a thing, they project onto social media and it increases their sales, it increases the sales of who they work with. And it's all about commoditizing them as a brand for better, or for worse. So I've got two questions to that, Raf. I mean, I'm, and this is all, all of us. I mean, so is music more of a, so is music today become more of a marketing? I mean, obviously, well, but now it seems to be more and more because the, the heroic nature of uh, uh, the hero worship that most musicians um, enjoy. So it's become more of a marketing machine. And two, now if you look at the the thing that YouTube you two did in Vegas, if you take you two out of there and you put, let's say, let's say you put a not so a band which is not um, not that big, would oh the special effects and the visual uh, visuals, um, all of that, would that have um, the same effect? Or would people still go? Well, the well, if one, I go, if I take my guitar and my the, the, the power of the YouTube brand to promote the sphere. Uh, sphere, obviously, we're talking about the sphere. Right. right? Oh, we haven't all been right. talking about YouTube, but they, that's if it's a local band, we're not going to be talking about it too much, except for the eyesore that it might be in, in the town. <laughs> All right, so let, let me let me so put this no into me, Sean. Is that what you're saying? Let, yes. uh, yeah, of course. Um, you can just lip syncing. Uh, <laughs> let me just put this into context because you know people probably have heard us before. It's uh, once upon a time tomorrow. We talk about AI. We talk about the strike in the uh, in the in the writing industry, in the entertaining industry, and in movies. That uh, we talk about something that. Uh, was a show that we just recorded me and Carrie. And by the time that you listen to this, that one would be actually live. We talk about privacy and we have been itching to talk about music because as you can tell, we're pretty passionate about music. And I think we, each one has his own kind of music, kind of opinion. And, and this conversation came up from the sphere, which we already mentioned in, uh, in the conversation just started uh, to have shows in Las Vegas is this incredible piece of technology that cost, if I understand exactly, 2.4 billions, which is not little, uh, 516 foot wide, which is 157 meter wide, high resolution LED screen, the largest on earth inside and outside with 17,600 seat audience. So made for music and the question that i had on a post a couple of days ago it was like music or an entire 
concept, different concept of entertainment, which is kind of what we already discussed. So isn't music not enough anymore or is completely different the way we consume it? So, or is it even a concert? Uh, uh, what, what, is it even a concert? Is it a concert? Well, let's let's think of it this way. Um, the sphere is to music as IMAX is to film. Mm. Um, in in that you know, so whether yes. that whether that holds or not, MSG wants to do more spheres. They are looking at it as a way to upsell ticket prices and to build a more immersive production um, that you know that an artist can go off and do a thing for a while. Um, and it's it's one way to have a giant stage show that you know can basically and frankly say that it's bigger than anything else <laughs> you know it, it's 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 like it, it's like this is the biggest thing until they make one bigger so the, the thing that strikes me and maybe it's depending on where what concert you go to this might change but I, I look around at others in the venue and are they watching I actually I looked at I looked at a video that I recorded maybe six years ago uh, in San Francisco, it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Or no, I'm sorry, Blink-182. And I have a video because I was recording through my camera. And in front of me, between me and the band, were hundreds of other people recording on their cameras. So I'm wondering, is anybody experiencing anything? Or have we, or have we arrived to a point where it's all about, I was there, I have proof that I was there, and therefore I'm cool. And mm -hmm. it's more about me projecting that to others more than experiencing it. I don't know. And it, I think it's become more of I don't know that the spirit that. changes that in it. What's that? Right. Well, so I agree. I mean, that began, and so if you've ever gone to a Tool concert or a Perfect Circle concert, the first thing Maynard James Keenan says when he comes out is put over your bloody phones or you'll be thrown out. He literally will not allow you to film it unless the last song. It's the last song of the night. That's when he says, okay, now you can pull your phone down and record this. And the whole thing is that, hey, we worked a couple of years to produce this thing for you. If all you're going to do is pull out your phone and not watch it, like, what's the point? Like, bloody hell. We'll be releasing YouTube videos. I mean, go watch it. Why you... The live show experience is completely gone. So, but to your point, Sean, I think not just music. I think a lot of stuff has become that, right? I mean, it's, it's all about record something, post it on Instagram, and tell people I was here because it's and that therefore I'm cool. Uh, I'm reacting right. on their coolness. <laughs> but but think think about this also. Um, other other bands uh, and other groups uh, actively encourage people to pull out their phones. And if you think about it, there used to be a notion. Let's say like let's go back to like the seventies or eighties of people holding up lighters, um, even to the extent that you would have people who didn't smoke who would ha take a lighter to a concert and they would hold up the lighter to be able to, like it's, it's audience participation. Um, and so now you'll have bands that will, will ask people to pull out their phones to tap the button to have the light that, projects, that projects on their phone like a lighter. <laughs> okay. So 
I'm going to try to jump on both. So one, the camera. I have regret many times to be one of those. I have seen concert where I finished, you know, Guns N' Roses, U2 in Pasadena as well, uh, that I'm like, I'm an idiot. I just watched one quarter of the concert through my phone, and I'm here. I'm not experiencing these people. So I've learned the lesson, and now I try not to do that. So in a way, you're That's how you have GoPro. Your, uh, <laughs> true. <laughs> you're bringing somebody else with you to do it. Right. And everybody's like that. So the, 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 the lighter, it's a little bit different because you, you're part of the event participating in that. And I want to make a reference to this. Again, Rose Bowl, Pasadena a few years ago, Coldplay. Great, amazing concert. Thanks to my wife that brought me there. And they were giving some computer control, cheap um, uh, bracelet. We would light up to the beat of the song. And people, instead of having the lighter, it's you know, next generation of the lighter, you just go up and, and the entire freaking Rose Bowl was beautiful. But you're part of the show. You're not estranging yourself from it. Like I think you do, like Sean said, when you're filming it. So bring this to a show where the sphere advertised it as we don't tell people what to watch. They watch whatever they want, which means there is the stage. And all of a sudden, I'm fascinated by, I don't know, a planet that is exploding on the right-hand side. I'm, I, I think it's great, but it's not a concert. <laughs> so is, is this the next generation of MTV then, where, where you know how they have music Maybe. videos, where you, oh. you, you, music was more of a providing, providing the... The soundtrack for the actual video that I was playing, and I think again, Tool Tool did a great job. They had these crazy animations, and uh, where the music would sort of, yeah, is that what we're looking at right now? Um, is the Sphere the the next generation of immersive MTV? Uh, well, so I, I think that that the Sphere is a particular live topic. immersive MTV. Yeah, but like you know, like if if you think of it. Um, It'll be interesting to see who goes into the sphere because the because U2, for example, is kind of a band for our generation. Like I, I would be curious to see if a band, you know, let's say like Blackpink or Taylor Swift goes into the sphere because they may not need to. Um, and, and also the, their audience might not go go into that. Um, you know, I, I think that we're, we're seeing some some splintering and, and bifurcation of different types of music entertainment as, as as musicians try to find different ways to to grow and and to make a living or make a few extra million. And so, you know, maybe maybe the sphere is a way for um, you know, like th th there've always been artists going into Las Vegas and doing a residency. And maybe the sphere is a next stage of that, of spectacle that, you know, not that it has to just be the sphere. I, I have a thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I, I don't know what the future holds for it, but I can envision the sphere being a platform mm, yeah. that has cutting edge technology capable of doing whatever the band wants. And to, so to switch it now, the band has an environment to perform within 
that does a lot of stuff for them. And perhaps they can focus on the music and actually performing and the platform and the venue actually enhances what they're really good at. So I actually want to bring that back to you. That's that's an interesting. Well, so let's bring it back to you too, because, um, you know, so being frank, I'm not in Las Vegas. I haven't seen the show, which just got started, but I read the reviews and I was interested also because I know a a few people who work on the sphere and, um, and, and a year ago I had folks who were like, Hey, do you want to do something on this? I was like, well, like, you know, we're a game developer. I don't quite know what we would do on that. And, but it was, it was intriguing because Mm -hmm. I realized that like, there's the kind of attract mode of the actual sphere to we have a thing in Vegas and it's best viewed from far away and you see the sphere and it's huge. It's a giant marble in the middle of Las Vegas and there's development for that and it is a platform. And then there's development for the thing inside because in the reviews, what they stress is that the band has very little on stage. They have Mm -hmm. a stage that was literally designed by Brian Eno uh, who's worked with you two before to be a minimalist stage so that the band has exactly what they need and then everything else projects onto the screen around them. And, and so it is absolutely like, you know, they're not trying to bring in props. They're basically going experience our music and then look up. You know what it is? It's the real life metaverse. So you go in there, you are immersed into this universe, kind of like the idea of the IMAX, yeah, to be in within, to be in the movie. I mean, when you said video games, I'm like, huh, you could have, you could have a game like electronic game competitions in there where people experience in within the battlefield or the drone race or whatever. I mean, I I think it's amazing. They they have, they have, but it's not music. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and this is where it gets to spectacle. So one of the things that, that Gary brought up when he was describing it and was like, it is kind of going to become a platform is he was like, we have the ability to like, there's a, there's a network structure that's set up to do really robust Bluetooth and everyone who goes in could potentially download an app and we could take signals from everyone's, from everyone's phones and everyone's phone could be a controller and, you know, like we got into philosophical discussions about like, if we've got 20,000 people within this thing or whatever it holds, can we make useful signals for interaction between 20,000 people and stuff on the screen? You know, it, it's, it gets, it's, you know, the interaction between one screen and it can have different spaces, but how do you, like, you have to design differently for interaction with a crowd and, and, you can have interaction, but it has to be very limited and very simple. And at that point, I was like, it's completely different from the virtual concerts that we've been doing. Let me just think about it for a while, because the notion of an interactive back and forth between the screen and the crowd while the band is playing is an intriguing thing, but it's new territory. And I don't want to just suggest something and have it fall flat. And I kind of like to see one of these things before we suggest designing for one. Because we could, and it would be intriguing, but I also don't want to like take away from the band, which should be the important thing there. So that that's what's going to be my thing. Like is it so is the purity of music gone then? So now you're basically 
if I'm going to a concert, then part of the experience is me worrying about how much of an how much of an influence I'll have, or get ten of my friends. Hey, at this point, do this so that we can push this up on the stage. Is that what concerts are becoming? And then to so where I think does you, music you draw a line? I think you draw a line. So again, and then I, I want to look back into how. Uh, technology change music. If we have time, I have a feeling yeah. we're going to have I, I, more I time. Wanna, but I may, may I say something? something? Sorry. Rafael, based on what Kerry said, so classical music, I think, is the perfect example. You you go to a concert of classical music, uh, unless it's something special, there is no background. You may have candlelight, but you want an empty, you know, the philharmonic. I want a good audio. I don't want to have distraction. I want to hear every single piece of instrument. That is enough. And enough, it's the diminutive in a way. It's, it's, it's why I am there. It's one sensor experience, which is the music. Then you can play with that. Um, Hollywood Bowl, they do this LA Philharmonic where they show Bugs Bunny and an other character, and they play the soundtrack live they do that kind of stuff it's not the first time it's on a screen it's, a, it's fun but it's already like okay it's kind of a concert maybe it's not i mean but i'm still there for the music so i love this i i love what it can be but i think again there is a big line that you have to draw between concert and a show it's not the Cirque du Soleil i go to the Cirque du Soleil i want to be blown away by a lot of that stuff. But if you put me like digital images in the back, which kind of happened to the Beatles uh, show, I get distracted a little bit. <laughs> it's still cool, but it's not music. And yeah, and I, th I think funny. for me personally, when I go to concerts and there are giant screens, and I love to see sometimes they do a close-up of the guitarist playing a lead sequence or the drummer. So you're focusing on the artist themselves and you, you want to see that. But if you replace that with animations and other stuff, and you're like, okay, I'm not, I've, yeah, for me, it's like, it, it's in moderation, I guess it's okay. And again, I've not been inside the sphere, so uh, I'm speaking completely without having well, any we experience. Saw you two heading this way, Marco, well, the Joshua Tree concert, right? <laughs> the big but Marco, you brought up an interesting distinction, which is a concert from a show. And I think that that's important because I think that we're going to see more different types of things that are going to take music into being a show where it is about the spectacle, it is about the experience. Some of them may be interactive, some of them may be passive, some of them might have audience participation or not, but they're stretching the boundaries to try to figure out how they can use modern technology to stretch the price that they ask for a ticket, but also to stretch the notion of what a musical engagement is when you go. And even to, to, to have you think, does the concert come to me or do I go to the concert? This thing, you know, because think about that. Now people are thinking, do I go to Las Vegas to see you two? There's always been residencies, but with greater spectacle, they may think it's easier to go, well, they physically can't move this thing somewhere else. If you want to see it, you have to go there. There's, there's another thing that, that is, um, is somewhat correlatable to this, which is ABBA. Um, I don't know how much you guys have been looking at it, but ABBA worked with ILM um, 
for several years during the pandemic to build a, a residency in London that is absolutely different but correlatable to U2 in Las Vegas because ABBA had effectively virtual avatars built of, of them, of their younger versions. Um, and they set up a concert where what is projected on the stage are their younger versions. Um, they are not visible as their physical versions. They have massive screens viewable from different directions. They have virtual versions of themselves projected because they are playing their classics from the 70s and 80s, and it is their younger versions presented virtually in the real on stage. <laughs> Spectacle show. Are they um, even playing? <laughs> <Why bother? laughs> and, and yeah, like at a certain point you, you go like, so like they, they have it set up for essentially virtual puppetry so that they are singing live, but their avatars are physically viewable. We, you know, we don't quite have holographic technology to where that can be viewed without, you know, that can be viewed directly, but they have the closest approximation to that. But it's not a just press button. It is they are behind the stage, but because their physical bodies have aged, they decided to present themselves as they were in their prime. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> so I think the question here could be this, and we haven't even... Who is... It's my usual question. What drives what, right? Is it technology that's like, this is available, do something with it? Do we really need it? Or is a natural evolution of what the art could have been. So is music looking for this, for other venue to express yourself, or it's just because it's available, let's do it and the audience buy it. I mean, I, I think this because before we start recording, I, I found an article that is gonna give the history of music. Like, you know, first it was live music, 1800, to 940 phonographs and record player. Then we go into cassette. Then we go in vinyl. Then we go into digital. Then we go in synthesizer before that. And, and I mean, there is a lot we can talk about. So I, I don't know, maybe it's just a natural evolution of society and we are embracing. And then there is the old school like us that I just want to go in a small venue and and, and, and you know, and hear the noise of the of the guitar strings when you go from one chord to another. I don't know. Discuss. Well, I think so, Mark. I mean, the the, the stuff you point out, the the vinyl, the tapes. It, I mean, that's the mode of consumption. I think all of that has moved on to now streaming, and I, to to an extent, I think vinyls had a massive resurgence over the last few years, and I think more and more people are getting back into vinyl, um, and. I think we all want our own personalized playlists or personalized albums, and that 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 revolution came from streaming. And I think with vinyl, I think some of the stuff that's probably coming back is, you know, the concept albums like Rush used to produce, and like Led Zepp used to produce, and Floyd used to produce. So you would buy the LP and then you listen to it end to end because every song was either interconnected or was really great. With streaming. 
okay, you release an album, you've got four songs, which are good, so you, you only listen to those four songs. And even if you look at Spotify, it tells you, hey, these are the top songs by this artist. So you don't even have to listen to all of their albums. They've already sort of curated that for you. So it's definitely changing how we produce music and even consume music. Uh, so I think that's that part of it. But in terms of technology, like the sphere, so my question there is, is it going to enhance musicmanship or musicianship, or is it going to allow us to take mediocrity and hide it behind um, this, this massive visual experience where now because you've got multiple sensors being, being um, sort of attacked and you're not able to pay attention to, okay, that's just like the five chords he's playing for every damn song. Well, but I, visuals I think, are different. I think the question is, is whether you see uh, Nickelback in the sphere next. <laughs> Let's put this back on the shoulders of the of the artists, because hmm. I I think yes. artists first and foremost create. I think most true artists create for themselves, with perhaps then the idea that that what they created would impact somebody uh, in yeah. a certain way, and so they're they're reaching deep, creating something from within presenting that others connect with it and resonate with it and have feelings from that. So I think in its purest form, uh, I think that still exists. And in the giving you to the benefit of the doubt and others that go into the sphere, is it that what they're pulling out and creating and I'll say leveraging this platform for is still designed to get people to feel and think something based on what what they created it for in the first place i don't think that goes away i think maybe maybe the technology impacts our ability to absorb it or to find that thing or we're overwhelmed with too many feelings and and right. and, and experiences but I, I think from an artist perspective i i, I want to believe that that trueness is still there at the core I think that there's a much wider range of expression than there used to be. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It, it sometimes is complicated. And I think that it means that musicians are trying to figure out where they slot in or has their place changed in life as, as they grow. But <clears throat> the artists, for example, that go into and do an ABBA thing, like ABBA financed that themselves. They, you know, they had somebody who reached out to ILM and said, make us younger. <laughs> Um, you know, find the fountain of youth and 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 grow us younger. Um, you know, I my understanding is that the MSG Sphere reached out and said, like, okay, we're going to set up the slate for the next few years. You two, we want you to be first. You're a good one to launch this. Um, so, you know, you have artists who have established on a certain level who go, I can do this thing. This is my initiative where they reached out. You're not going to have a random indie artist go into the sphere because they can't command the space. Um, I don't think that that going to be like Wembley. Yeah, but like, like, like Wembley, that you can't just go and perform in Wembley unless you are like really yeah big big but, artist, right? But you you don't have. I don't think that you ever have the small space of um, you know the artist that goes and plays in the club 
we need that to kind of start things off. But what we also recognize is that there is a point where record companies started to do, you know, research and find people on YouTube, and then they started to do it on TikTok, um, you know, and, and, and sometimes that becomes a way for people to grow. You know, when we worked with Little Nas X, you know, we, we were cognizant of the fact that Sony found him on TikTok. You know, he was working in a grocery store and he was doing social media and he was doing his thing. Like he, he's talented and he knew what to do, but he was discovered in a social media space because he presented something where they said, I think we can see how we can grow this. And there was points where they thought, you know, okay, he might be a one hit wonder and it might just be this, you know, old town road and, but Hey, Billy Cyrus likes working with him and they kind of grow that thing and continue to build it. But everyone was still going like, is he just a one hit wonder? But then he was actually a master at social media and he also had pretty good musical chops and he was a professional. He was pretty damn good and understood how to work with mocap. He could sit down and do photogrammetry with us, but also he went on past us and the virtual concert that he did with us. And then he went off and was like, okay, he killed it at the MTV VMAs with Jack Harlow. And he's got way bigger than Jack Harlow did. And then he went off and like, one of the things I saw him in a year ago was like, they made, Sony made a deal with, riot games and league of legends and they had him do a song and they promoted it by doing a silly thing where he becomes the president of league of legends and he showed that he could he could do comedy on screen as a celebrity and that he had a good song to back it up and so like there are more avenues for artists to grow but they still have to kill it every time and they can still fall by the wayside every time well, the time has changed. So, I mean, you, you made a good point very quickly. Before you need to be to prove that you were not only good, but marketable. You'll have somebody come in the club, uh, the Whiskey Go-Go or wherever, and say, okay, we'll give you a record deal. And then they own pretty much everything about you until you're big enough that you become really, really big. Now they bet on sure win. They don't, rarely they get somebody that is unknown. They want to say, well, you're bringing already millions of followers. You get this thing that has been streamed a million times. I don't know the guy, the name of that guy, country guy that just became famous for one song. And I'm sure he's good, right? I'm sure he's good. I mean, you still need to be good. You can't fake it all the way on if you want to go play live, you better be good enough, right? So the entire streaming has changed the way that we do business. Writers is the same thing. If you can throw a couple of chapters out there and people like it, it's kind of like record company don't take risk anymore. They may make less money, but they don't take risk. So things have changed for the four of us, right? But if somebody's... 16, this is what they know, right? Oh, God, um, yes. So what, what they're experiencing now isn't, isn't different from before in their, in their mind. And so they're not, they're not latching on to, uh, to nostalgia or some memory of 20 years ago at some concert, right? So 
and they're experiencing life and engaging with their peers in different ways and all over the world. Um, perhaps not even in, in a physical location. So I, I almost wish we had somebody young er <laughs> on this to, to get their that. perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, I had it, Sean. I did an interview with a 24 CEO that launched an app that creates virtual AI driven background and morph your face. And, and, and uh, it's, uh, and I made that point. I said, but what about photography? What about the old time when we were film, we we're using film and, and announce that from a raw perspective. And uh, well, this is the point I said that you show yourself in Paris in front of the Torre Eiffel, why you never experienced that. And it's like, yeah, but, the younger generation don't think that way. And I felt very, very, very old. <laughs> but but it's like, they don't. damn they, it. It's influencer. It. It's influencer generation. It's the same reason why, why people are taking pictures and selfies at concerts and stuff. It's more about it's more about telling their their followers online or you know, people they are connected online. I, I was here, that's why I'm cool. And, and not the actual experience is more about getting validation from that, which, uh, which may be what, what the next generation of people are going to be like. Um, well, and, and to bring this back to Pink Floyd at a certain point, always to, back to Pink Floyd <laughs> at, at a certain point, And I, I, I know that we're all fan, old, old, old fans of Pink Floyd, but um, it's worth thinking about, that era of music is as being viewed like classical music for younger generations that you know they view classic rock as like classical music because it's this kind of curious thing that the dinosaurs listen to that is longer form and more complex structurally but not necessarily as catchy or fast or loud as they can listen to now and it is, it's music for an older generation. Um, they can't handle that stuff. Come on. <laughs> but like, if you think of it, pe people don't tend to do that anymore. That notion of a concept album, it's absolutely even easier to do it now because you don't have the limits of a physical media. And you can go, I'm going to create my rock opera and it's going to be two hours and five minutes. And you don't have to go, what's the limit of what I can put onto a, a record or onto a CD? People used to have to go, this is the maximum amount that I can put onto a CD or, oh, okay, I can, I can do a double album. But they had to fit it. They had to fit the songs and the album to what they could ship. And now they can just go, I can make anything I want to. But the vast majority of them are going, can I make a three minute song that I can have five second clips for, from that people can mean to and and you it's know the do, span, do, do a right? dance in front of a camera <laughs> right well the, the 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 limitations now has moved from physical medium to the attention span of people that's what you want the attention span and, and what you're competing with your three minute or two minute song and video is competing with five million others because everybody there's no barrier to entry or it's lowered for for example and then you're competing with that, and so you, you're um, so gone are the days of you know. Remember anybody remember Jet Hotel Thick as a Brick? The whole album was one song. <laughs> now you're so old, dude. 
Jetrital. <laughs> of course, I remember Jetrital. I have a I have a vinyl here if you want to see. It. <laughs> yeah, I, I have but, seen but that, I have seen Tal live. So yes, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but see how we are proud of these and. And you know it's it it is a different generation. Sean plays the philosopher on that note, and I, I'm like I'm so proud of him. Like I, ta I taught him well. I mean that 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 was the whole point. It's like we're talking as a different generation, but I also feel myself lucky. And maybe who knows the younger generation in in I don't know, 40 years they can have the same conversation and be like, dude. This shit now, it's not good. I remember when we used to go to the sphere, we used to put stuff on TikTok. That was cool, right? <laughs> and like, who knows what they're doing in 40 years from now. But we got to experience that from analog to digital. I'm sorry, I, I, I love that. And I'm not saying, I mean, I love a lot of new band. Not many, but some I do. I don't like when they use an auto tuner, but... <laughs> Yeah, but you, you made a very, very interesting point, um, Marco. I think we are, we are a unique generation in the sense that we have heard and experienced what our parents and grandparents have listened to and experienced and have moved along. And we had our own thing in the 70s and 80s, and now we are experiencing what our kids and grandkids are experiencing. So we are sort of like, you're sort of straddling between both, uh, leaning more towards our, our our own youth but understanding and, and and to sean's point the kids today um and to your point the kids today don't even know that world so for them this is what it is and uh, i mean at some point we should have a discussion about cars and driverless cars and all of that stuff because i remember I, I just spoke recently to a friend's son he's not looking to get his driver's license and then like when I was about to turn 16, the only thing I could think of is I have to get my license so I could bloody hell take dad's car. And now they don't, it's the Uber generation. They don't care. So yeah. it, it's, it's changing quite a bit. And we've seen all sides of it, right? Well, well let me get a second. Also, we're we're going to keep going a few more minutes, but I know that Sean has to jump on another podcast, oh, a, a, a real I one. Know, I get to. I get a real Sean, one. We'll, we'll, we'll have more in the next one. But we will have it. more of this conversation. But one thing yeah. we want to hear from you is your favorite band and genre oh, and your favorite concert you've ever seen. Three questions. Then you can go. Oh, um, maybe a better thing. If you're on an island and you're allowed to only take three albums, what three <laughs> albums are you taking? <laughs> you're overwhelming me now. Uh, heavy, heavy. As question. we were talking about classical music and 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 long songs and things. The, the band that kept coming to mind throughout this conversation was Muse because they do very operatic uh, classical uh, orchestra uh, type compilations that are often longer and very powerful. And I saw them in concert as well. Um, so I don't, it's not necessarily my favorite. I, I kind of like more of the, the harder edge, like the Blink-182 kind of stuff. <laughs> and I've He's seen so I am so ugly. Just find me in Calabasas uh, where they're hanging <laughs> out, Mr. Barker. Um, but yeah, I think I'll say Muse just because, funny enough, it, it was an experience being mm -hmm. at the concert, hearing the play. So, which album of Muse? 
What album from you? You 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 allowed three albums. You you're all right, you're all, all three albums. Entirety. The last three. <laughs> I don't think we remember anymore the album because we just listened to one song, as you said before, right? We we just pick three uh, three songs from an album. We don't... Playlists and sometimes they're not even our own playlists. I'm listening to other people's playlists. Mm -hmm. So um, news. So you're not that old. You're not that old. Because for me, if, if they didn't start playing in the late 60s, I don't even consider them. So, you know, if... <laughs> You know, I go with Black Sabbath, so that's that's my yeah. That, that's what you take into an island, Black Sabbath. All three albums of Black Sabbath. No, not all of them. I mean, I, I will probably bring the Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd. I would probably bring the first Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. Although there are other good. It's tough. I mean, um, I'm also an '80s uh, air band guy, so Cinderella. It's a, it's a band that I, you oh, know, good old, yeah. <laughs> right? Like a long, cold long, winter. long yeah. cold winter, a little bit of bluesy shredding and the high pitched voice. Sure. But I love a lot of different music. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I listen to lo-fi. I listen to classical, but at the heart, yeah, I probably get some heavy stuff. Iron Maiden, seen Iron Maiden three times in concert in the 80s. And I'm a percussionist, so I like a good beat, but I'm also uh, a sucker for, for a good melody. So, All right. You can go. You, right. you, you're released. Thanks, thanks for releasing me to uh, <laughs> cybersecurity. Have fun, guys. Good seeing you, Sean. Can you jump on one of those shows with you, um, Sean, next time? Uh, okay, so how about you guys? I think we'll talk about AI and all the other things we wanted to talk about in another session. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's stay with this uh, rumination. Yeah, let, let, let's, let's stay with music. Um, so yeah. the first... The, what, the are first you what are you taking, the, the first... Alan, Raph? Three albums. <laughs> um, let's see here. Well, okay, so so first I'll, I'll say the first, the first concert... Uh, the first like commercial concert. So uh, my, my father was a music professor. So I, I saw bits of concerts, um, particularly African music concerts going back to pretty much um, when I was born. But um, the first commercial concert that I saw was uh, Tina Turner. Um, my, my parents, you know, they, they were going and, you know, and they brought me along because they couldn't get a babysitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, you know, I was, you know, you know, yay big. And, uh, and Tina Turner just tore the roof off the place. Um, that was, you know, this was probably like 79. Um, and she was just like, that was that kind of, that presence was, was incredible. Like she was an, an amazing performer. Um, so yeah, just, just to, to throw a few others out there. Um, probably the thing that I'll always remember is um, Miles Davis uh, at the Iron Horse in Northampton a couple of years before his death. Wow. Um, he, yeah, there's just like that, that era of, of jazz musicians, there's just nothing like them. Like there's a whole range of those that I saw, but Miles Davis, at, um, you know, the end of his prime, but no one touched him. <laughs> Um, uh, in, in terms of, of, you know, maybe a, a few albums, I, I would probably take, um, 
I'd probably take an early Pink Floyd album, um, you know, maybe something like like Adam Hart Mother. Um, I take um, I take a an early Bonobo album um, because uh, I, I've seen Bonobo both DJ and and live, and you know he's still putting out albums, but his his live stuff when he brings a band. And there's this mixture of of like almost acid jazz and and kind of down tempo uh, electronica is incredible, um, and and then um, yeah the the th- uh, ooh, I, for for a third I'd, I'd probably I'd probably grab an early uh, Orbital album. Um, I, I listen to a lot of electronica, and um, yeah, there, there's. Um, Orbital, in some ways, is probably the closest you're going to get to classical music. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I'll listen to a lot of like uh, drum and bass while I'm working. Um, and um, you know, Orbital obviously is not; they're they're more IDM. But yeah, like I, I it would probably be a toss-up between Orbital and, and maybe one of the extended you know compilations from from like LTJ Bookham. Um, because you know, the, the range of folks that he worked with, um, I, I can listen, you know, I, I've done so much development listening to electronica and either like IDM, trip hop or, 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 or drum and bass, um, because I, I use it to get into the zone. Um, I, I think with nonverbal music behind me. Yeah, I agree with that. I always have some music in the background and yeah, a good electronic ambient. It's it's you know lo-fi, lo-fi actually lately. I I enjoy that, even if I listen to it with really good headset and yeah. lo-fi, it's still enjoyable. Like Japanese yeah, yeah. style Tokyo, it's really cool. And actually, you know, I I I might I might actually have to do something like uh, Brian Eno, um, uh, like. Uh, Brian Eno's On Land or, or, or Music for Airports um, because, you know, that, that's, a, you know, craft work and a whole, whole host of others, but Brian Eno has influenced a whole generation of, of electronic artists. Mm-hmm. That, All right, Carrie. You know, sounds great. <laughs> Oh man, I'm all over the place. I mean, so <laughs> I think, I think for me, I, I think Pink Floyd, Pulse, that album, it basically is got just what every it covers every genre, uh, every decade of their music. Um, that definitely is something I'll never get tired. Um, you've got sketches of Spain, Miles Davis. That that album is absolutely brilliant. Again, um, anything from BB King. The guy is absolutely brilliant. I'm mean, gonna take anything from BB King. Wow. I'm a big blues guy. Cool. Um, big blues and jazz guy so but again yeah again these are it's kind of hard but that's that's what i would take wow we really went on some nostalgia here i really love it (laughs) so i have a a final story Uh, so this few months ago i was we were covering info security europe in london and i i just went there a little earlier and was by myself so i kind of walk all over the places i mean i really walk a lot in london it was june it was beautiful weather and i realized i was really close i was in, in the westminster area i was really close to 
the Battersea plant station, the one in animals, Pink Floyd, cover. So I said, all right, I'm going to walk along the Thames and go take some pictures. And I'm visioning this abandoned, you know, uh, plant station. And it's a huge mole now, right? So you walk through it. And I, I, I got excited. I don't know why, but I just got excited. So I started taking out my phone and took pictures. And I mean, it was cool to see it from the other side. I pictured the pig flying over it. And then I crossed the bridge and it's this amazing brand new mall, like all mixed with technology. You can go all the way up to one of the, of the, um, of the chimneys. I think there's an incubator out there too. Yeah. There's an incubator. It's a mixed use uh, flats. You can, you can. But they did an excellent job in mixing modern and still leaving. Yeah. The old industrial yeah. pieces that were there. So the reason why I wanted to say this is it wasn't it was amazing, right? To to see what they did with that and preserving, because in London they're doing a lot of that. I've seen like old uh charcoal deposit near stations that they revamp it and renew it and they they really balance the history with the modern. And I appreciated both. I mean, I appreciated the remembering Pink Floyd album and I appreciated the new one. So I think the lesson here is we I appreciate the sphere and I appreciate everything in in in, yeah. in technology that is doing now. It's just, you know, it's not the same. <laughs> That's it's my not point. the same. I'm curious. Yeah, I think I'm. All I can say, I'm curious. I'm curious, um, optimistically curious. Yeah, I, I'll say that um, I think that things go in cycles, and that though we're dealing with a shortening of music, that that doesn't mean that as people get comfortable with digital, that consumption can't change or broadcast can't change, and things can't lengthen that if anything, artists, but also people in pop culture react to the decades before them. And, you know, we, we, can, we can look at, at the teens and 20s that we're in now as a reaction to kind of the, 80, the 70s and 80s and 90s and even the 60s, and the notion that as people get into the 20s and 30s and 40s, that they will gradually have reactions to the aughts and the tens or teens that there will be a point where, where they'll be going, Oh, you know, music was, was too short um, in, in the teens and, and, and we need to do longer things because we control our attention spans. <laughs> so I, I'm hopeful that, change will keep happening, but also that people will, people always like to rebel against the things that happened in the five to 10 to 20 years before and read and younger generations want to define themselves anew against that and against their parents. And that cycle ensures that we keep ping ponging back and forth all over the place. And the only thing that we know is that no one wants to be exactly like their parents even if they love them. <laughs> True. True. But at least now we have, uh, we, we have uh, access 
to yeah. all of that, right? So everything is being recorded. We can go now. I mean, I love old school radio. I said that many times and uh, jazz. You mentioned jazz. I just love to play a vinyl behind me. Um, Vincent Guaraldi talking about jazz for Charlie Brown and, and the Peanuts. But I also like to just go on a playlist and say, play some jazz from the 20s, the 30s, and, and hear the scratchy, the different tone of voice. The, I mean, we can do that. It, we go back to the power of accessing anything we want now. And, and the beauty is that we'll be the same 30 years from now. And maybe, yes, the, the music from the now it's considered classic rock, it would just be like something super cool, which, you know, we grew up with that. Of course, we have those memory. The memory from when you're a teenager, they're always stronger than anything else. So, yeah. But, yeah, cool. Now I just want to go and play some, some music. I don't know what, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put on yeah. a vinyl and listen to some music. Put on a record. Well, and, you pull out a Pink I, Floyd album. I, I think that it's, that like we're always going to have this this dichotomy between uh, between recorded music and live music, um, like that 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 can't really change because there's the sense of of like live music as engaging and somewhat unpredictable, and the sense that it's happening in front of you. You know whether it's you know a a, a traveling bard that's come to to a tavern. Or it's someone who's going off, you know, like, oh, I'm going to play a show at the Palladium for, you know, for 300 people um, or a big spectacle. But there's a sense that live music is an event. It's a, it's a doing. It's a being. And that there's, there's a balance between that and the thing that we didn't have, you know, more than 100 years ago, the notion that we can take music with us that we could sit down and go, okay, I'm going to work and have this in the background. You know, there's a point where you go, okay, someone working and having music in the background is basically royalty who's like, okay, you guys go play for me. <laughs> and, um, and, and now anyone can do that. And now anyone can take that with them. And now we have a computer in our, in our, in our pockets and we can go, I'd like to listen to this. Mm -hmm. And then it appears. So we, we have a point where we're very spoiled and that's not a bad thing. We have access, but what we do have to do is chart ways for artists to have the ability to continue to make a living between the live and the recorded. And that may change, but we have to ensure that artists continue to make new music and that we don't get recursive and that we don't kill off the ability for artists, young artists to make a living, to go in, to become the U2s 30, 40, 50 years later. But my fear is that with AI, for example, which maybe we talk about next time, um, we are allowing mediocrity to, to succeed. Yeah. And that was kind of my whole point, right? I mean, if you start putting all the sauces on top of that, um, there is not the, the record company that filters who you are anymore. We can all go and play music. We can all write and put it on social media. And, and now we can leverage generative AI. But I hope that those that excel, they still have the opportunity to be recognized as 
someone Agreed. special, like a true artist, and that doesn't just water down and level everything, because that would be really bad for music. There wouldn't be a, a Tina Turner. There wouldn't be a Pink Floyd. There wouldn't be, you know, uh, any other of these. Well, there, are amazing, like there are amazing uh, musicians nowadays. I just don't want them to disappear yeah, say that. amongst the bad one, right? They, yeah, yeah. I, I think you'll always have excellent artists um, thriving in any, any situation. And they'll, they'll find ways to use these things as tools to, to enhance what they have rather than mask their, their shortcomings. So hopefully, yep, we, we will we'll continue to see some brilliant people. Cool. Um, one last thing I, I want to leave you guys with, um, and we, there's a whole other discussion around AI, but just a few of the words of Nick Cave um, when he was asked about AI, um, because I think that it's very relevant from the perspective of, of songwriting. And, and he was quite eloquent in, in capturing some of this when someone sent him a Nick Cave chat GPT song, and he basically used that to kind of tear it apart. But he, he did a good job of explaining why. Um, <clears throat> and I'll just select a few, a, a few points of this, but uh, you know, these, are, these are Nick Cave's words from his Red Hand Files. Songs arise out of suffering by which I mean they are predicated upon the complex internal human struggle of creation. And well, as far as I know, algorithms don't feel. Data doesn't suffer. ChatGPT has no inner being. It has been nowhere. It has endured nothing. It has not had the audacity to reach beyond its limitations. And hence it doesn't, re doesn't have the capacity for a shared transcendent experience and has no limitations for which to transcend. Um, what makes a great song is not its close resemblance to a recognizable work. Writing a good song is not mimicry or replication or pastiche. It is the opposite. It is an act of self-murder that destroys all one has to strive to produce, all one has strived to produce in the past. It is those dangerous heart-stopping departures that catapult the artist beyond the limits of what he or she recognizes as their own self. This is part of the authentic creative struggle that precedes the invention of a unique lyric of actual value. It is the breathless confrontation with one's vulnerability, one's perilousness, one's smallness pitted against a sense of sudden shocking discovery. It is the redemptive artistic act that stirs the heart of the listener where the listener recognizes in the inner workings of the song, their own blood, their own struggle, their own suffering. Um, this is what we hum humble humans can offer that AI can only mimic, the transcendent journey of the artist that forever grapples with his or her own shortcomings. The thing I love about this and what he's saying is he's reminding us that the interaction between an artist and the listener is a human interaction, and it's about the artist being vulnerable understanding themselves, trying to put out something new, struggling with being an artist, and then sharing that and saying, I grew and I made something new. Here's the latest thing I made. Listen to it and find something of yourself in it. And, and I would say that about every creative end of a right? I mean, storytelling, yeah. um, everything you look at it, I mean, there's got to be some, some sort of personal 
experience that you've gone through that allow that that force or that, that gives you the emotions to write that kind of stuff. Yep. And with that, a lot to think. Subscribe, stay tuned, share it. We'll be back with more philosophical and we hope interesting conversation. Until then, thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Rafael. Thank you, Sean, that left us before. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Good rambling. Go, go listen to some good music, whatever that is. Bingo. <laughs>